Join us at our annual conferences in London, Florida and Sydney to learn everything you need to know about ITAM in the cloud era. For more details, head to itassetmanagement.net forward slash events. Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast. My name is Martin Thompson from the ITAM Review and welcome to another episode of uh, our podcast. Uh, today I have a, uh, an old friend, uh, Kylie Fowler, on the podcast. And uh, prior to this podcast, I was just thinking when I first met and uh, spoke with Kylie, and I think it was probably around the 2008, 2009 sort of time. I'll check with her in a second. Um, when I first started the ITAM review, that's how long I've known Kylie. Uh, I consider her a ITAM thought leader. Uh, I th- I'm pretty certain we started blogging at about the same time. She's uh, very well known in the UK for leading the BCS networking group, uh, and I'd love to pick your brains about that in a second, Kylie. And her day job is the CEO of a company called ITAM Intelligence, uh, which provides independent uh, consulting and mentoring to organizations looking to optimize their estate and gain cost transparency. I hope I've done justice to ITAM Intelligence there, Kylie. So, Kylie, welcome to the ITAM Review podcast. How are you doing? Very well, Martin. Thanks. Um, and I really appreciate being invited on the call. Um, and you're right, you know, we uh, met just about the time that you were starting the ITAM review and uh, we were both blogging at the same time and I did a bit of uh, some of your very earliest articles online as well. So we have known each other a long time. <laughs> and have I, did a, have I done ITAM intelligence justice? Is that what you do? Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm very keen on encouraging and developing the skills of IT asset managers across the board. So a significant proportion of my business actually involves coaching and mentoring IT asset managers to help them develop their skills uh, and provide a better level of service to the companies that they work for. So absolutely, uh, you have done us justice and I think that it's also a nice introduction to our topic for today, which you haven't actually introduced yet. <laughs> no, no. Um, so, yes, I'd, I'd love to, to pick your brains about um, women in the field of, of ITAM. We've done some research recently which said, uh, back in, I think it was October, November last year, which said that around 30% roughly of our audience was female, which I think my gut, I don't got any firm statistics on this, but I think my gut feel is that's above the IT industry average. Um, and I'd love to know how we can attract more women into our, into the ITAM field and maybe p- pick your brains about how you got into the field. But before we do that, can I just go back to the BCS group? Could you give that group a general plug and describe what you do? Because I think it's quite a unique offering. Yes, so our group uh, is a specialist group for the British Computer Society. So we're all volunteers and what we do is organise events. Now our group's a bit of an unusual one because we cover three areas. 
software asset management, configuration management, and DevOps. So we organize events covering all three areas, although our SAM events are undoubtedly the most popular events that we run. Um, we run our SAM events in London every two months, uh, so March, May, July, September, and in the even-numbered months of the Config and DevOps events. Our big event that's coming up is a conference in May, on the 9th of May, which will cover all three streams. Uh, and the other thing we've just started doing is holding evening events up in Manchester, their software asset management events as well. So if anybody is interested in finding out more about any of our events, then please do uh, get in touch. Martin, if you don't mind sort of putting a link or something on this podcast, that would be really helpful yeah, of course. Uh, to allow to get in touch. Yeah. So. And it's something that I go along to regularly. It's great networking and uh, it's quite a unique audience in that uh, you're in central London on a Tuesday evening uh, with a glass of wine in your hand talking about Sam. So you've got to be fairly <laughs> committed to be, uh, to be doing that. And you get a lot of passionate people interested in the topic and generally networking. So, I always recommend anyone that's beginning in the field to go down to that group to, to get a feel for what the market's like. Mm. So talking of your, could we, could we step back and look at your career? Um, I think I remember rightly, um, you were speaking at our conference last year, uh, for which you did very well. And thank you for that. Um, and I think you, something, you mentioned something about that you, you, the reason you ended up working in IT was because the guys were cuter or something like that. Or am I, am I, have I got the right person? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I used to, when I first came over from Australia, I worked as a temporary secretary in and around London. So I'd be in different companies for a few weeks or a few months just typing up reports and that sort of thing. And then, you know, occasionally my computer would break down and I'd, I'd ring up the help desk and some cute guys from the basement would come up and fix my computer for me and I thought that was great. So after about three or four years of, you know, typing reports that tended to be the same reports over and over again, I got a bit bored and by this time I decided to stay in the UK rather than head home to Australia. And uh, I thought, right, what, what industry do I want to get into? I know. There's lots of cute guys in IT. Let's get into IT. <laughs> that is literally my thought process. There, there was something about IT is a very a very fast-paced industry, constantly changing technology. I'd be on a steep learning curve all the time, which I quite enjoy. There was an element of that as well, but I have to say the cute guys in the basement probably were the thing that swung it for me as a career. So where did you start? Uh, you know, first role in IT, what were you doing? So I was actually temping as a secretary for the Royal College of Nursing, which is the nurses' union, and I, um, they, they really were very keen for me to stay, and I, I wanted to leave and, and try and get myself into IT. And they actually were kind enough to get me a two-week stint on a help desk to see whether I would like it and to see whether I had the aptitude. So I um, did that stint on a help desk and then ended up uh, when when the secretarial role finished at the RCN, I got another job working for uh, working with the BBC for a company to which they had outsourced their accounts. Now my my main job in Australia before I moved to the UK had actually been as a bookkeeper in a small in a small window factory, and so 
what they liked was the fact that I had that, that sort of modicum of help desk experience, but also I had that bookkeeping background. And so they took me on for a nine-month contract, which then got me a bit of IT experience, proper genuine IT experience. But then the, the crash came, the, um, the technology industry crash in the early 2000s. And so I was out of a job for, for a couple of years uh, and had to go back to being a temporary secretary. And this time I ended up being a temporary secretary in a mental health ward up in northwest London. It was a secure ward and I'd be typing out reports for the consultant. And he used to go out to court, out to the courts and do assessments of people who'd been arrested to see whether they um, were mentally capable or not. So it was quite quite fun when people rang me up and said, oh, uh, can I speak to, to Mr. Gandhi, please? And I'd say, oh, sorry, he's in jail today. <laughs> because he was off interviewing somebody who was on remand. Um, and I just sat there and sat there and, you know, got chatting to the cute geek guys who came to fix my computer and found out that there was a role potentially going on the help desk. And so when it became advertised, I applied for it and I got the job. They kept me on for two years, but it was a bit of a dead-end role because I couldn't get promoted on the technical track from the help desk onto second line support for various political reasons. So I threw, threw it over in disgust and, uh, and then got a job as an IT administrator where part of my role was doing software asset management. And that was in about 2005. So it's a long story, but what it really demonstrates, I think, is that software asset management is an area of IT or IT asset management in general, is an area of IT that's really accessible for people who don't have IT experience. You can come into IT asset management through an administrator role. Basically what we do is glorified administration. And so I think that possibly answers your implied question as to why there are so many women in IT. I suspect it's because a lot of women get IT admin roles and then get thrust into doing IT asset management. Or they come in perhaps from the procurement route or finance route, which might have more women in it than IT would perhaps. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's the other route as well. And I, and I think my past career, um, I, have the, I had that bit of help desk experience, so I understood how IT organisations worked. I had that accounting and bookkeeping experience. And then the other thing was I actually studied law at university and I dropped out, so I never finished my degree, but I did study contract law and intellectual property law. So I had that basic understanding of the law as well. So if you're thinking about, well, what are the, the characteristics of a, an IT asset manager or particularly a software asset manager, uh, you need some accounting now, you need some administration now, you need a bit of IT now and a bit of legal now. And, you know, luckily for me, I had it all and landed on my feet. So what was um, what was life like on the service desk? Because I almost see it like an apprenticeship for all IT. I mean, I, I'm not belittling the service desk as a route, as a career route because that's a very structured route with lots of opportunity. But if you're going to work in any area of IT, it's almost like if you're going to if you're going to work in retail, you want to work on the shop floor just to see what the customers are like and what they're asking, don't you? And it's the same with the service desk. You get exposed to so much. What what was what was things like? Uh, you're absolutely right, um, and what the service desk 
does is gives you it gives you a great view of the life cycle of a service request or a an incident and how all the parts of IT work together to actually resolve that to resolve the incident or, or um, manage the service request. Um, so it also gives you a very strong sense of who your customers are and the idiosyncrasies of your business. And, and you know, working in the NHS on the help desk was really interesting because one day I would have somebody who had a huge amount of, of knowledge and experience uh, with, in relation to technology on the phone, logging a call to say that there was some sort of application problem. The next day I would have a nurse on the phone who had absolutely no idea how to even use a mouse. I literally had a nurse on the phone one day who could not use the mouse. I'm saying, you know, point your mouse at the bit on the screen and she, you know, I could see her moving the mouse over the monitor because she just didn't even know how to use the mouse. So that, so, you know, those were two extremes, uh, which I, I doubt many people would on a service desk these days would experience. But it is a really good introduction to IT. It can become a bit of a dead end though, as it did for me. So you you had you had a role that involved a bit of ITAN in it. Uh, what was mm -hmm. the role? What what were you doing? And what, and what sort of led you to think mm, I could quite do I could quite fancy doing this? So that role was actually the 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 meat of that role was managing the support and maintenance contracts and also doing all the IT procurement. And again, that's a that procure to pay as opposed to contract management um, is, a, is a really effective routine. I'm, I see so many people who are doing the procure to pay role, so raising purchase orders, who then do more and more IT asset management. It's really common. And so essentially I just had a bit of nous uh, for it. I, I was good at it fundamentally. Um, I think the challenge comes with administrative roles, that you're very, very useful in that role and people want you to do that role. To find somebody, to find a replacement is a pain in the neck. You've then got to train them up, they've then got to you know, become proficient in the role. And so a lot of people who are in administrative roles feel very stuck. And the other thing when you're in an administrative role that makes IT asset management very challenging is that you're constantly expected to be meek and mild, you don't have a huge amount of power and you're expected to do something that's actually fiendishly difficult that involves a lot of stakeholders and involves a lot of people doing things that they don't actually want to do. So, it's, so for an administrator to then move into IT asset management can be very difficult and uncomfortable because you the, the fundamental characteristics expected of an administrator in a very junior role are the opposite of what a good IT asset manager needs to actually have to do the job properly. I, an um, IT asset manager is bold and bolshy and get in there and tell people what they need to do. I um, met with a IT asset manager who who we both know, but she will remain nameless, but simply because right. we, haven't, we haven't asked her permission. But she used to be the PA to the CIO, and is now mm. an IT asset manager. 
And effectively, mm. she, she knows all of the CAO's lieutenants and how to get them to do things. And I think mm -hmm. that's way more valuable than any technical knowledge or licensing knowledge is the ability to say, I know everyone in the IT shop and exactly who to, how to get them to do things for me and, to, and how to communicate with them. That's massively beneficial. You're absolutely right. And, and in fact, I'm so envious of this individual. I know exactly who you're talking about as well. <laughs> uh, precisely because when I think back to myself as an administrator in a very junior role, struggling to get people to do things they basically did not want to do, uh, you know, she's had, she's been able to train people for years to say, right, I want you to do this, and their immediate response is, okay, I'll do it, <laughs> because they know the command is from the CIO. Um, so, you know, that's a fantastic position to be in. Absolutely. So you you had the role as, um, with a bit of ITAM, um, which is common, uh, especially with a service desk. You might get assigned a project that involves a bit of ITAM, and people think, right, I'm going to quite like this as a sort of career yep. progression. What was your first role that was fully fledged ITAM that you, that you would call yourself in that space? So after that contract finished, I got a permanent role for a mutual fund manager company in London, and that again, was full of contradictions because although I was a, it was a specific IT asset management role and they had a very formal IT asset management function to the point where I was sent to Los Angeles for two weeks to meet my US counterparts within two weeks of starting that role. <laughs> you know, it was amazing. Um, but then I came back to London. I was on my own. I was managing all the assets for both the London and the Geneva offices, and I was reporting to the service desk manager. So there was a real conflict of interest between the requirements of the service desk and the second line engineers to actually update where hardware was, to manage, to, to manage those assets properly, make sure our databases were accurate, and my role in terms of actually saying to them, you know, you, you've, you've done something wrong, you've not updated that you've given this piece of equipment to an individual, um, you know, we need to, we need to do a, a uh, hardware audit, we need to, you know, you need to hunt down these assets for me. Um, so that was very difficult, balancing that, the, the demands of that role, but being line managed by somebody who had me on the one hand saying, IT team, please do this, and him, on the other hand, having 10 people saying to him, oh, we don't have time to do that, tell Kyla to go and do it herself. So that was a really challenging uh, position to be in, and I think it's really common for many IT asset managers that they feel very isolated. They're the only people in their organisation who understand what they're doing. They're, the only, they're constantly asking people to do things that are just a distraction from the day job, from, from what those people genuinely are prioritised to do. Uh, and it can be a very lonely place to be. And that's actually one reason why I'm so passionate about reaching out to IT asset managers, because I've, I've been in that place and I've felt that loneliness. So um, from my knowledge, it's from our friendship and knowing you for so long, I know that you've been through full-time positions, through contracting, through uh, uh, consulting and retainers and all this sort of business. Um, can you, especially to those people that are perhaps sat on a, in a contracting role or sat in a full-time role considering contracting or doing contracting mm. and wanting to escape into doing consulting and all this sort of thing, 
what's what's been your favorite and and why why have you done what you've done uh without maybe going in specifics financially but maybe could you touch on the different flavors and what you've done so so after i was made redundant from the permanent role uh as a result of the crash i decided i was going to go contracting and it was brilliant so whereas i had been stuck in a relatively uh low um sort of low-level job within within the mutual fund management company, suddenly I jumped several rungs on the ladder and was managing audits for a large multinational company, uh, was doing massive um, negotiations, uh, you know, strategic negotiations with major vendors like Microsoft and Autodesk. So contracting gives you this immense freedom to reinvent yourself and I would absolutely rec recommend it to somebody or to anybody who's, who's feeling quite stuck in their role. Contracting is an easy way out of it. Um, so how would you make that, how, how would you make that leap? You know what? I, I you just need to be brave. You need to have the money to be able to afford to live for three or four months, and then take that leap. Um, I was very fortunate because I was given a very good redundancy payout, so that gave me that financial confidence to take that leap. Um, but just, you know, if you want to go contracting and you're serious about doing it, you've got a bit of, of you know, enough for three or four months of money's worth behind you, then, then you know, do make that jump because it can be very, very worthwhile and very freeing to allow you to actually go out and get a load of experience and a load of uh, and, and do a load of new things that you wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to do in, when you're in a permanent role. And um, don't underestimate your knowledge as well when you do go contracting because some people know absolutely nothing and um, welcome all of your experience from your full-time positions, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think actually that's something that's really important for women and women tend to struggle with is a lack of confidence and you need to pretend that you've got it fundamentally because remember confidence is just a facade. No matter how you're feeling internally, as long as you actually project confidence, you are confident. <laughs> it's, 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 it is, confidence is purely about appearances. Um, and women are much less likely to present that facade than, than I think a lot of men are. And so women are more likely to, to express that, the genuine lack of confidence internally. But of course, once you express that, you come across as lacking confidence, so you're less likely to get the role. But equally, other people around you are less likely to promote you or push you forward or to, to say, you know, have you thought about this individual? Um, and the other thing is, as well, actually pretending that you are confident also means that you just, that facade becomes internalised to a great degree, so it actually will make you more confident even inside. So apart from <clears throat> putting on your poker face, as Lady Gaga might say, um, let's say that you're a graduate or you're maybe you're on the service desk or you're in another role um, and you and you've looked at ITAM and you want to join this field. What can people do? Do you think? What would you recommend, or what what would you do again if you had the opportunity? 
Um, I would definitely recommend anybody who wants to get into IT asset management to to start doing it. In most organisations, it's a huge gap. So if you can find space within your existing work schedule, uh, which of course can be a challenge, but but you know don't don't underestimate the amount to which you can potentially prioritise your other tasks to pick up something like IT asset management. Then you can just start doing it, and 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 the role will just gradually grow around you, because it's it's in so many companies it's underserved. So there is a, a desperate need for IT asset management administration activities to be carried out. Once you start carrying those out, then the role will just grow and grow and grow, and you'll get more and more experience. And then when you're ready to take the leap and potentially apply for a, a full-time role or go contracting or whatever it is you want to do, then you can just do it. You know, it, loyalty to companies is is to be lauded. You know, it's it's not a bad thing. But at the same time, because companies find administrators so useful, my experience has been that they that they're reluctant to actually help you step up and out of a role and into a different role because they just need that admin done. So I've, I've really had to, I've, my experience has been that in order to drive my career, I've had to actually say, you know what company, you're not valuing me, you're not supporting me, you're not developing me, I'm leaving. Which is a pity, as you know, every single place I've worked, I think, I've, I've really enjoyed working there and would have been very happy to stay. But if they don't value you and they don't, uh, you know, help you step up and, and, and achieve your professional goals, at some point you have to say, right, enough's enough. Um, so that's that's something to think about. Difficult, but you do need to be prepared to do that, I think. But that goes for anybody, not just women. So, so you went from the full-time position to contracting and then yeah. um, contracting to your own business, your own practice. How, how is that mm -hmm. different and how why did you make that move? So I made the move away from full-time contracting uh, because... I wanted to have some new challenges and I want actually you know what I wanted more time so I wanted to be able to uh, you know to not be sitting in an office Monday to Friday nine to five and I, I wanted to have a lot more freedom to actually go and you know walk up to my work from home walk up to my local shops um, in the middle of the day, you know, do whatever I needed or wanted to do. Um, and it actually has genuinely worked out like that. It's, it's, it's a nice way of working. Uh, the downside is I'm not actually doing as much asset management. And the reality is I actually really, really love doing IT asset management. And so what I'm finding instead is I'm doing a lot more business development rather than actual ITAM. So I'm not sure, I don't know, how how long I would like to to keep spending so much time on business development, which has been an interesting challenge. I've been on a steep learning curve, all those things that I like, but at some point that's going to plateau and I'm going to be thinking, mm, you know what, I really don't enjoy this as much as I enjoy doing IT asset management. So I might I might end up going back full time somewhere. I don't know. Well, there's an offer. There's there's there's, there's, a, there's a statement to solicit offers if ever I heard one. Um, 
Okay. And um, is there anything as an industry that we could be doing to encourage more women to be in ITAM or to join the professional or perhaps help them um, promote their careers? Is there anything specific that you've come up against that's uh, a glass ceiling or anything that stops you progressing? Hmm, that's a good question. I think the answer is, for me personally, the answer is no, but that's because I'm very good at sidestepping obstacles. Um, I think the biggest thing goes back to being, to when I was an administrator and this real reluctance by the people who were employing me to develop my abilities. I knew that there was so much more in there in me that I was capable of so much more than they were letting me than they were letting me achieve, um, and and I and that's partly because partly because I was always a bit of a square peg in a round hole a round hole because the last thing I've ever been is meek and mild and you know a lot of companies want somebody who's meek and mild in that role in that role. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, I sidestepped it and left. Um, I, th I think you just need, but the thing is, it's the, mes the message is the same to all women. Be confident, um, take control of your career. So as an in what can we do as an industry? I think for me, the most frustrating thing about this industry is we moan about skill shortages and then do very, very little to do anything about them. So I'm very keen to try and get new people into the industry and I think a really important route for that could well be people in service desks, people in administrative roles who then you know step into different roles within the within the IT asset management industry. Actually our next event on the 14th of March, it's a Tuesday, it's one of our evening events, uh, Rizual who, ha who have a, 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 uh, a department that, that develop apprenticeships is going to come and talk to our evening event about apprenticeships um, because I think apprenticeships are a, will be a really help, useful way, is a, is a good path to get people into the industry as well. Um, so if, if you are an IT asset manager and you, you're in a role where potentially you could bring an, somebody else on board, get, a, get an apprenticeship in an apprentice in, then you know, please come to that event because what I want people to walk away from that event with is a really clear understanding and roadmap to how they would engage an apprenticeship, build an apprenticeship program, and actually make sure that the people that they're bringing in as apprentices are are bringing value to them, rather than you know it, it being rather than companies getting apprentices in because that's that's a good thing to do, they're getting apprentices in because actually they can be really useful. Um, so that's that's what that talk is going to be about. And I think as an industry, we should be thinking seriously about using modern apprenticeships as a route to get people into the industry. And even um, beyond that into university courses as well. So say, right, okay, you're building all these fantastic things with IT, uh, but you know yeah. how it's licensed. Do you know the cost implications of your, what you're doing? Um, that should be built into the courses, I think. <clears throat> so for, yeah, yeah. final question for you before we wrap things up is, um, you've mentioned okay. about contracting and making the leap, which I found very interesting. 
Um, what people mm. probably don't know is that there's actually lots and lots of contracting work going on all the time with lots and lots of opportunities. You just need to know the right people to ask to find out where they are. So can you record, how did you first, was it like an agency that you used or was it a specific headhunter or something? How did you get into the contracting world for those people that are in full-time positions now that are considering contracting? Because there's lots going on all the time, isn't there? Yeah, so so the way I did it, and bear in mind this is over 10 years ago, well, no, yeah, 10 years ago, sort of roughly, <laughs> um, was using the job boards. And the nice thing about the job boards is that your current employer has absolutely no idea that you're looking for a new role. You can just put your CV, you tailor your CV for a contract role and you make sure you've got all the right keywords in there so that the the bots which are trawling the CVs that, that are posted to the job boards trigger the right keywords, look for the right keywords, and then agents will ring you. Um, because so if you're not in IT asset management, if you're in a normal you know developer role or a services role or something, doing it that way, putting your CV on the boards is not actually that helpful in a lot of cases because there's so many applicants. But IT asset management has the opposite problem, and what you find is that large companies will have a special, it will have a um, a recruiter that that they use exclusively. They've got the once in the blue moon IT asset management requirement. The recruiter go, the recruiter receives the CV, looks at it and says, "Huh, got no idea." Goes out to the job boards, crawls for the CVs, finds yours, rings you up. So actually, the job boards are a really effective way of getting a role and doing so in a way that isn't really public. Because of course, if you go onto LinkedIn and then you start saying, "I'm looking for contract roles," it's your, your employer is quite likely to find out about this. So that can be a bit of a double-edged sword. There was so, the, you know, there, would... there is the occasional um, recruitment consultant that does know what they're talking about. It, it, for example, like the yeah. late, uh, our friend, the late uh, Paul Davis, uh, but he was, he was certainly the exception. There's not many of those, is there? No, there's a couple. So Hannah Davis, Paul's wife, is, uh, has taken over the company and they're doing a lot of recruiting. And uh, Neopetrides also does a bit of recruiting. And there's another guy whose name slips my memory who's just joined the industry, uh, sorry, uh, who also is uh, looking for people. So I can send you their details, Martin, if that's helpful, and you can put it on the, the call. Cool. Okay. Put it on. Mm. And we'll also put details of the next BCS networking group and details about uh, Kylie's website and how to get hold of her and, and say hello. Um, so, um, Kylie Fowler of um, ITAM Intelligence, thank you very much for joining the podcast and look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. Join us at our annual conferences in London, Florida and Sydney to learn everything you need to know about ITAM in the cloud era. For more details, head to itassetmanagement.net forward slash events.